0: Amen. Join with me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, and our Lord. We pray that you would uh, teach and instruct us this day and at this hour as we study your word, that we might rightly use to our growth and grace and to your glory uh, those things which you have appointed for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today we come in the Westminster Confession of Faith to the chapter on the Lord's Supper. That would be chapter uh, 29, and if you're following along in the hymnal, that's page 865. We're not going to cover the whole chapter today, because there are uh, eight paragraphs, and none of them are super short either. Uh, so we're going to plan to look at the first four of them this Sunday and the following four uh, next Sunday. Uh, we had looked at baptism as the first uh, as first sacrament, as uh, the sacrament of initiation, um, symbolizing our engrafting into Christ. And now we come to uh, the other sacrament of the new covenant. There's only two, and uh, they are baptism and the Lord's supper. Does anyone remember how we might define a sacrament? You could use the, you know, uh, confessional language, or putting in your own words, what what makes a sacrament a sacrament, and say prayer not a sacrament. Holy signs and seals instituted by Jesus Christ just to signify the covenant of grace. Yes, very good. Uh, holy signs and seals instituted by Christ represents the, the covenant of grace to represent, seal, and apply uh, Christ and the benefits of the covenant. Yes, yes. So they are sensible; like you can sense them, uh, visible, tangible signs that also symbolize uh, grace, uh, symbolize things that are invisible to us. And so prayer, for example, is an ordinance appointed by God uh, as a means of grace, but it's not a physical sign of invisible grace. Um, Likewise, the word of God would be an ordinance appointed by God, but the sacraments are unique in that they are visible, tangible signs and seals of uh, Christ and the new covenant. They're not not identical, uh, but they are nicely complementary. Uh, Baptism is administered once when we use it all life long as we now live as those washed by Christ, embracing this by faith, living as those uh, who have been engrafted into Christ. And the Lord's Supper uh, being administered often, and it is... uh, emphasizing Christ as, as nourishment, as food for our souls, and our growth in him, and more emphasizing our active participation in it too, that we ought to take, we ought to eat, we ought to drink, um, whereas baptism is more passive, that we are washed uh, by him, and of course then we respond actively uh, to that, rightly using it all life long. Um, baptism being even to given even to the infants of believers, uh, the Lord's Supper, those who can rightly use it when it's administered, you know, those who are of age and ability to examine themselves. So let's go ahead and begin on the Lord's Supper with the first article, which speaks of the institution and ends of the Lord's Supper. You know, how did Christ instituted it institute it, and why did he Why did he appoint this as a thing for us to observe? Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, to be observed in his church unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death, the sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. So, like I said, these articles in this chapter are not short and brief. There's a lot in here speaking of um, when Christ point of this and why. There's, I think, at least five reasons, yes, five ends, goals, purposes uh, for the Lord's Supper. Um, Now, I I often read the words of institution uh, since we do that every week. You might be familiar with them by now. Uh, There's uh, in at least three of the Gospels and 1 Corinthians 11 as well recounts how Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread, blessed it, and broke it gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body. And, and he also, after supper, took the cup, having given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, said, uh, drink, ye all of it. Uh, this is the blood of the new covenant. I'm just going off of memory here, but you know, these are the, the words of institution where Christ uh, instituted it. And we have uh, it recorded, Uh, with with some variations, you know, not that they're contradictory, but that, you know, he might have said this and this, and the one gospel records one part, and the other gospel writer records another part. Um, And uh, we have that then in the, the various accounts. I also want to call attention to 1 Corinthians 10. So obviously, 1 Corinthians 11 talks much about the Lord's Supper and the words of institution and correcting the misuse of the Lord's Supper in Corinth. But even in chapter 10, before that, Paul had spoken of the Lord's Supper and in, in, in contrast to idolatry. Uh, he had, on the one hand, said that the Old Covenant people, they uh, partook of Old Covenant sacraments, signs and seals of Christ, and yet Some fell away into idolatry, and so we should be careful we don't do the same thing. Uh, Just because you're partaking of the sacraments doesn't mean that you are necessarily uh, in the faith and and invincible, that you should take heed lest you fall. Uh, But he also appeals to the fact that if you participate in Christ here, you know, tangibly in in the sacraments, that you ought not to be participating with demons in idolatry. It's an either-or. and so let me read 1 Corinthians ten, fourteen through 22, because in making this argument, he also reveals things about the Lord's Supper. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Uh, so, obviously, you see his, his argument, his appeal to, to faithfulness, to flee from idolatry. But we also find that the, the cup, and it's called a cup of blessing. We bless, just like Jesus did. He blessed it. Uh, that we have the the bread that we break, just as he broke it, Um, that these things are participation in the blood and body of Christ. That word participation can be referred to as, uh, translated as communion or fellowship or participation, the Greek word koinonia. And he uses other examples of participation, just as those who eat of the sacrifices in the Old Covenant participated in the altar, you know, that, that they participated in those sacrifices and in that worship and had fellowship with God. Um, likewise, the Lord's Supper, we are partaking of the one sacrifice that was once offered. It's not being offered here. We're going to get to that in a minute. But we partake in Christ that participate in his body and blood and in the benefits of his sacrifice and have fellowship with God. But likewise, the pagans... They sacrif- what they sacrifice, they offer to demons. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Uh, don't partake of those, those sacrifices in a way that would participate in idolatry, uh, flee from idolatry. Um, so from the o- other passages that speak of the words of institution, we find that the Lord Jesus instituted this Uh, It's called the Lord's Supper. That's one of several things that it can be called. We'll find that actually in chapter 11, where uh, Paul calls this the Lord's Supper in verse 20. Uh, Sometimes it's called communion because of 1 Corinthians 10, that it's a communion, a participation in the body and blood of Christ. Sometimes it's called the breaking of bread uh luke's favorite term for it is the breaking of bread because they break bread they all participate of this bread and break it off to distribute it Uh, sometimes it's called the eucharist not so much in scripture although the greek word eucharisto is in the words of institution it's the word for giving thanks uh that it, it is not a sacrifice for sins but it is a sacrifice of thanksgiving that we give thanks for this sacrifice in the sacrament um, it's called the table of the Lord in First Corinthians ten, the cup of the Lord, the cup of blessing. And why do we do this? Well, first, it's for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of Himself in His death, as Luke and First Corinthians records. Uh, he says, "Do this in remembrance of Me." So. That shows us one end of the Lord's Supper. We should do this in remembrance of him. As Paul says, that uh, thereby we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim or show forth the Lord's death until he comes. So it's for the remembrance of it that we might keep this in our remembrance. It's also for the sealing all benefits thereof, Unto true believers. All the benefits of that sacrifice, uh, that they are sealed, they are confirmed to believers. Those who receive it in a worthy manner, uh, this uh, is a, a confirmation and a sealing of it. Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant. This cup is the covenant. Just as circumcision was a sign and seal of the covenant, this is the covenant. In Genesis 17. So this is the covenant. This is a, a sign and seal, um, a visible, tangible symbol, representation of, the, of this covenant between God and you through Christ. And so it confirms that its benefits, like Jesus mentions, the forgiveness of sins uh, is not simply achieved out here generally theoretically but it's given to you um, even as this bread and wine is given to you it's also for their spiritual nourishment so why would we say that this is for the spiritual nourishment and growth in christ what does the lord's supper have to do with nourishment and growth Catherine, Katherine, how do we normally get nourishment and growth? How do we grow any of the children? Yes, from our food. Yes. What happens if you don't eat food? You die. You die. What happens if you eat just a tiny bit of food? You die. Well, you might die, but you also might shrivel up. You might not grow. You you you, you lose strength, right? You need food. Well. Jesus says that his blood, his flesh is true drink, is true food for eternal life. Eternal life, not just our physical life, not the way that normal food is, but that, it's, uh, that his sacrifice, his uh, flesh and blood, is for our spiritual nourishment and growth and grace, uh, for our sanctification, for us living like branches on the vine and bearing good fruit and love and good works, and so this supper it is a supper is a uh, a, a spiritual meal, a holy meal by which we feed upon Christ uh, to to spiritually receive him by faith as food for our souls it 's also for their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him. So when a person partakes of the Lord's Supper, they're also um, being obligated to now live as those who, who bear the name of Christ or further obligated. They're already obligated if they're a professing believer, if they're baptized. Um, but uh, by partaking of this, you're, you're doubly obligated now that it is a a sign and seal of your covenant responsibilities, just as it's also a sign of your covenant privileges and blessings. If you have been bought with a price, that's a great privilege to be redeemed by Christ, but it also means that you are not your own, that you now ought to serve the Lord. If you partake of the cup of the Lord, should you partake of the cup of demons? No, those are contrary to each other. You, You ought not to do both. You're now obligated to to serve the Lord Jesus uh, visibly, tangibly. It's also to be a bond and pledge of their communion with Christ and with each other as members of his mystical body. And there again, we're getting to that uh, term of, of communion, participation. We actually talked about that in the chapter on the communion of the saints, if you remember that, that we have union with Christ and therefore communion with him and grace as we share in all his benefits and therefore we also are connected united to all fellow believers and uh, the, the other members of, of the church and therefore have fellowship communion in love with them um, that we do and we ought to that we are fellow members of his mystical body and so the Lord's Supper binds us to Christ as a Bond and pledge of that communion. We have participation in him, but consequently, it also binds us to each other. And Paul brings that up because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So, any questions here on the institution and ends of the Lord's Supper? Let's go to section two. Uh, the relation of this sacrament and Christ's sacrifice. In the sacrament, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sins of the quick or dead, but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same, so that the popish sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, is most abominably injurious to Christ's one only sacrifice, the alone participation for all the sins of the elect. So, in this sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and the children here, in this sacrament that we'll have here in a little bit, right, is any sacrifice made to God? Do we make a sacrifice to God here? No, no. no. What is the one sacrifice that's sufficient for the forgiveness of sins? When was it offered? Um, when When Jesus died on the cross. Now, the Roman Catholic Church had begun to teach that the Lord's Supper was not just a supper, but was also a sacrifice that was offered to God, so that you might have been forgiven in your baptism of all the sins in the past. But you know, maybe you sinned again, and the the uh, supper would be offered as a sacrifice to God that He might be appeased and forgive you. And in fact, not just for those who are present, but you might even offer it on behalf of the dead. Those who dead and yet uh, still have sins that need to be forgiven in purgatory and you could offer it for their sake, that they might be forgiven. And so, began to use the bread and wine as a sacrifice and not merely as a supper. Now, what is wrong with that idea? What is wrong with that idea? Does it contradict scripture? It does contradict scripture. It's not right. It's right? Yeah. Right, right. So, the, what, one thing we already said, right, is that there's one sacrifice that was offered once, that was made once, for all time. And who offers Christ's sacrifice to God? Christ himself, Himself, Right? And and the book of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews, makes a big point of all of this, that as there were many priests in the Old Testament, so now there is one priest who lives forever. So he doesn't need to be succeeded by another priest, that he makes continual intercession for us, and he offered himself up as a sacrifice once for all. And having completed that, sat down at the Father's right hand, having finished the work of sacrificing And so, not needing many sacrifices like in the Old Covenant, which showed its own insufficiency. Rather, we have now that perfect sacrifice that makes our consciences perfect or clean, that we might approach God with confidence having what the others pointed to. And... I don't know if we have time to go through all the references, but you go to Hebrews 7, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, and it, goes, it has very, a number of variations. This is one sacrifice. It was once offered, um, and it was offered by Christ. Now, during the Reformation, this was a big deal, and sometimes when people speak of the Reformation, they speak of the priesthood of all believers as an important Reformation doctrine. It is true that some of them taught about the priesthood of all believers, but I think the even more important doctrine for them or the one that they talk about more is the priesthood of Christ. That the what the Roman Catholic priests were doing, we should not be doing. It's not like they took the Roman Catholic priest and said, actually, we all should do what the Roman Catholic priest was doing. No, they were saying that he is usurping Christ's role, that Christ is the priest who offered, Christ is the one who intercedes for us. Uh, and so uh, the Ministers of the Word today uh, carry on some functions of the Old Covenant priesthood, the ministry of the Word, but they're not called priests of the New Testament because they don't sacrifice. They don't offer sacrifices to God. Likewise, Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And even the Roman Catholics would recognize that there is no shedding of blood. In the Lord's Supper, they would say that this is a bloodless offering of a sacrifice, as opposed to the bloody one on the cross. Uh, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Yes. And they say that the wine turns to Christ's blood. No? That's true. That's true. Right, we're all priests in that we all serve God in our calling, that wherever we are called that we uh, can serve him, whether, whatever our position is, that it, it matters not whether we are in formal ministry or not, but rather how faithfully we serve him, and in the sense that we have uh, direct access to approach God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, without going through a human intermediary. So I'm I thinking about this myself personally. I think it's because it's not much the board. Yes, yes. Sure, yeah, that we intercede for one another, that we pray, um, which which would have been common in the Old Covenant as well as, as the New Covenant. And it seems to me we also suffer in a sacrificial way as Christians, as we obey Christ and uh, as we profess Him we suffer for Him. Um, so is there a sense that that's participating in the priesthood? I, I don't think I would link them, you know, because it's not like a sacrifice that we're offering for sins or something like that. Um, but that is true, even if it's not linked up with, with priesthood necessarily, um, that we, we do suffer for Christ. Um, but I don't think I would link it up with, with us being priests necessarily. Um, it, it should also mention that the people of God being a nation of priests is an old covenant thing as well as a new covenant thing. Uh, that in Exodus, I think it's 19, it uses the same terms that First Peter uses. And in fact, one point there is that the church is described in the same ways that Israel was in the old covenant. That even though we're many of us Gentiles, that we have the same identity now as the holy nation, a uh, uh, holy race, uh, uh, the the people of God, uh, a nation of priests, a royal nation. So, the Lord's Supper is not a a sacrifice for sins. Um, Christ is not offered here to his Father. There's no sacrifice made for the forgiveness of sins of the living, much less for the dead. Um, And rather it's a commemoration of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all Uh, christ was the sacrifice christ is the priest and he made it once uh, on the cross with the shedding of blood but the lord's supper is a commemoration of that sacrifice to be done in remembrance of him by it we proclaim his death It's also a spiritual ablation. Ablation is kind of another word for offering or sacrifice, but a sacrifice of thanksgiving, um, a spiritual ablation of all possible praise unto God for the same. So that's how often the church fathers would speak of the Lord's Supper as a sacrifice, as a, a Eucharistic sacrifice, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, not a propitiatory sacrifice, a sacrifice for sins, not to appease God, but rather to give thanks to God. Um, We proclaim the Lord's death. We give thanks to God, even as Christ gave thanks to God when he instituted the Lord's Supper. So the popish sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, well, I don't think they call it the popish sacrifice, but they call it the sacrifice of the mass, and that's what they call it. And that's injurious to Christ's one only sacrifice, um, the, the only propitiation for all the sins of the elect. We ought to have faith in that. Uh, and not in the work of a, a priest uh, today in making in offering a sacrifice. Um, and sh- these signs and symbols ought to not bring us to believe in them, but rather to be a means by which it confirms our faith in Christ and his finished work. All right, let's go to section... Oh, we're kind of already past. I know we started late, too. Um, Let me go ahead, though, and finish with the the next two. I'll read the next two paragraphs since they're pretty uh, united in what they say. The Lord Jesus hath in this ordinance appointed his ministers to declare the word of institution to the people, to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use, and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and, they communicating also themselves, to give both to the communicants, but to none who are not then present in the congregation. Next paragraph. Private masses, or receiving this sacrament by a priest or any other alone, as likewise the denial of the cup to the people, worshiping the elements, the lifting them up or carrying them about for adoration, and the reserving them for any pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of this sacrament and to the institution of Christ. In other words, do what Jesus told you to do with them and don't do other things with them that Jesus didn't tell you to do with them. If if he gave, appointed this bread and wine for us to receive, to take, to eat, to drink, we shouldn't then say, oh, we should take them and not eat and not drink, but rather carrying them about in our parades or lift them high for us to bow down to. These are all contrary to his institution, contrary to the use that he appointed for us to use them for. Uh, What should we do? Well, they're set apart by the words of institution and by prayer, by the word of God and prayer, the words that Jesus spoke and the prayers that Jesus prayed. He gave thanks and he blessed them. So you'll notice even in our, our order of worship, there's a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of blessing. And we give thanks and we set them aside, invoking God's blessing upon the sacrament. And so these, these are no longer ordinary bread and wine, but they're set apart for holy use. They're not transformed in their substance, but now they are to be used as holy signs and seals of God's covenant of grace. The elements are bread and wine, that which Christ used and appointed. There's also prescribed actions. It's not just the elements, but the sacrament's more than that. It's also an activity. And so we minister takes and breaks the bread, takes the cup, and then gives both to the communicants. And as the larger catechism expands on this, they take, they eat, they drink. Um, And so there's these prescribed actions that is also part of the sacrament. Uh, We'd already talked about how it's the ministers who administer the sacraments, ministering in the name of Christ, and they're only to be given to those present. The church gathers to break bread. Uh, it's not just elements, but it's a service. It's a ritual. It's a holy meal. It's not just bread and wine. Um, in First Corinthians 11, Paul uses the words come together five times in the same place and says, wait for each other. Don't go ahead on your own. So we shouldn't go ahead on our own. It's a, uh, a shared communion of the body of Christ in the body of Christ. Um, and so the contrary would be just having it by yourself, um, just having the minister do it and no one else partaking, That, or maybe a married couple in a wedding doing it and no one else doing it. <laughs> I, I might add it's maybe a more controversial uh, thing, but you know, receiving it alone, um, certainly a stronger point on an individual by themselves um, and not uh, a, an action of the church. Likewise, the denial of the cup to the people. You know, Jesus said, drink of it, all of you. You know, they all drank of it. Eat of the bread, drink of the cup. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church denied the cup for a long time. In fact, the Hussites put as their flag when they were being coerced by the Holy Roman Empire uh, to conform to the Roman Catholic Church, their flag was a cup, (laughs) a, a, a cup on the flag. That was their symbol, like, we want the cup. Um, and and that was a very important thing, something we might take for granted. And also the, the lifting them up for adoration. Now we might lift them up so you can see them because something you should do in the sacrament is to observe the actions, see them broken, for example. That's why I lift them up to break, but not to lift them up for you to worship, not to be lifted up and paraded around and everyone bow and genuflect, you know, as they go by. That's not what Jesus told us to do. Uh, with the Lord's Supper. So we might review some of this as we come back to it next time, but we'll complete the chapter uh, in our next lesson on the Lord's Supper. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, we thank you for making provision for us, not only by your word, but also giving us these tangible signs and seals of your gospel, of the covenant of grace, of Jesus Christ and all his benefits. We pray that you would grant us greater communion in him, strengthened faith and greater fruitfulness in living and abiding in him, that we might all do so, that our faith would be not only professed, but also active and living and bearing fruit. We pray that you would bless this ordinance, this sacrament, for the good of your church and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.